We know that we can develop crops that are adapted to climate change. We know that we can, uh, those same crops, we know that we can improve the, nu the nutritional content of the crops. Science, agriculture research is, is a very powerful tool. That's Howdy Buis, and you're listening to Ending Hunger and Malnutrition. Can it really be done? I'm Sivan Yosef, Senior Program Manager at the International Food Policy Research Institute, IFPRI. On this podcast, we talk to the world's top scientists, policymakers, and practitioners about ending hunger and malnutrition in under a decade. We teamed up with a group of passionate, engaged public health grad students at the University of Michigan. Each episode, one of the students will conduct an interview for us. Next time you eat some corn, or maize as much of the world calls it, consider this. Scientists have managed to breed maize that is deep orange because it has extra boosts of vitamin A, kind of like the sweet potato that people in the U.S. are used to buying at the grocery store. They've done the same for 12 other crops, giving them extra vitamin A, iron, or zinc. It's called biofortification, and the people behind it just won the World Food Prize. Holly Kaczynski talks to Howdy Buis, the founder of Harvest Plus and World Food Prize Laureate, to find out how biofortification could soon feed one billion people. What biofortification is, it's the process of taking a high-yielding crop and using uh, conventional plant breeding, crossing it with a with a variety of the crop that's high in iron or high in zinc or high in provitamin A, and crossing the two and going through the conventional breeding process and eventually coming up with a high-yielding and high-iron crop or a high-yielding and high-zinc crop, a high-vitamin A crop. Then the next step in the process is making that variety available to farmers. And uh, they grow the crop, uh, they eat part of what they uh, produce, and they sell part of what they produce. We've uh, released over 100 varieties of biofortified crops across, um, across 13 different types of crops. Um, they're now being uh, grown by farmers in 30 different countries, and we'll have them available to farmers in another 25 countries. Uh, in just a few years. So can you give us the elevator pitch for why biofortification is a worthy investment? Well, the, the good thing about agriculture research about plant breeding is that you invest in the agricultural research up front in a central location. Uh, you develop the varieties. You make those seeds available to country after country. And the farmers, uh, when they grow them, they don't do anything different in terms of uh, whatever water or fertilizer they add. They, they have sim very similar agronomic properties. So they get this extra iron, extra zinc, extra vitamin A. Essentially, they're free to the farmers and the consumers. These varieties, these foods are sold at the same price. Uh, other types of interventions, such as supplements, such as uh, fortification of food, you have recurrent costs. They save a lot of lives. They make people healthier. But you never, um, you keep having to spend the same amount of money year after year. So, so biofortification, the plant breeding approach, is a very cost-effective approach. If you look at the prices of fruits and vegetables and animal products and fish products, 
the prices of those foods have been rising steadily for the past uh, 40 to 50 years. The prices have doubled, have tripled, uh, even after you account for inflation. So dietary quality is getting more and more uh, expensive for poor people. If their incomes haven't gone up substantially, they, um, they, it's, it's impossible for them to buy uh, the vegetables and the fruits and, the, and other types of foods that are, that are naturally um, dense in minerals and vitamins. And this is, this is a very serious problem that in general governments haven't recognized. They've paid a lot of attention to the price of the basic food staple, but they haven't paid attention to the prices of the foods that provide dietary quality. So this, this trend is one of the underlying reasons that drives the need for biofortification. We're putting more iron, we're putting more zinc, we're putting more vitamin A, essentially at zero extra cost to the consumers. Today, many interest groups deeply oppose the idea of biofortified food because it requires genetic modification. What is your response to those groups? First of all, it, it doesn't require genetic modification. It is possible to use genetic modification. Uh, golden rice, for example, is a genetic, genetically modified, uh, biofortified crop. It's not part of the Harvest Plus program. Harvest Plus didn't want to deal with the barriers, uh, with the political opposition to GMOs, so we've only uh, worked on conventionally bred crops. I like to call them transgenics and not GMOs. I don't feel transgenics are in any way dangerous. Uh, the historical record now and all of the uh, scientific evidence has shown that uh, transgenics are safe. So do you think any criticisms of biofortification, um, even those using conventional breeding, are justified? Well, every, every type of intervention has strengths and has drawbacks. One of the drawbacks of biofortification is that it took us 10 years to establish the initial breeding pipelines. It's, uh, it's very difficult to go to donors and say this is a, this is a very cost-effective approach, but you're going to have to invest in the uh, breeding and the nutrition studies for 10 years before we can start to have impact. So given the realities of climate change, um, what will we have to do to make biofortification still a viable approach to improving diets? Well, the, the basic strategy is to piggyback on, um, on the agronomic properties that are coming out of agriculture research centers. So I, one of my favorite examples is, is beans. Uh, you take a country like Rwanda. It's a mountainous country. It's relatively high altitude. And beans grow better at high altitudes uh, where the temperatures are a bit lower. Now, as climate change takes place and temperatures rise, the area for bean production uh, gradually shrinks because it's only at the higher elevations that the temperatures remain low enough. But there are also heat-tolerant varieties. So the, the bean breeders have developed heat-tolerant varieties, and they've actually, because they're heat-tolerant, they're actually able to expand the area where beans can grow at lower altitudes. So at the same time they breed in heat tolerance, they breed in the high iron trait into the beans. So the high iron trait is piggybacking 
on this climate smart, heat tolerant uh, bean varieties. So in this way, uh, you know, adapting to the climate and at the same time improving nutrition go hand in hand. Some people will complain about differences in color or taste between white and orange flesh sweet potatoes, yet the latter is absolutely better for them than the former. Is this a gap in awareness or just plain old human stubbornness? <laughs> so when we have a high zinc rice um, or we have a high iron bean, you can't really see the, the zinc or the iron. So what the, the basic strategy for that is to uh, try to capture a very high percentage of the total supply in a country. Um, it's like putting fluoride in the water system. And over time, um, the, the, uh, the vision is that we'll capture uh, over 90% of the total supply. And we, we don't really have to campaign and tell people to be eating these varieties as opposed to those other varieties that are not biofortified. Now, with vitamin A, it's a different situation. Vitamin A makes the color yellow or orange, and, uh, and people are used to eating white staple foods. Um, so take an example in Africa. Maize is the most common food staple, the most widely eaten food staple. Uh, in many countries, white is highly preferred. White varieties are highly preferred. So we have to... We have to propose to mothers in Africa, um, here's an orange variety. It costs the same amount of money as a white variety. You're feeding your family currently white varieties. If you switch to the orange variety for the same amount of money, you'll protect your family from vitamin A deficiency. Which one are you going to choose? So how do the mothers respond? Well, they say, uh, let me taste it. <laughs> so we, we do um, the blind taste test, and they, they always pick the orange variety. And so given that they like to taste, then they say, yeah, okay, well, let's, let's go with the orange variety because um, it protects my family from vitamin A deficiency. What makes you most hopeful about the future of food security? Well, we know that uh, we know that when you apply science, uh, you can do amazing things. If there's a lot of uh, investment in agricultural research um, by public agencies, by the private sector, we know that we can develop crops that are adapted to climate change. We know that we can uh, those same crops. We know that we can improve the the nutritional content of the crops. Science, agriculture research is, is a very powerful tool, but it also takes a long time. It takes 10 years to develop new varieties. And so you can't, you can't wait a long time and then when you have a crisis say we're going to do agriculture research. So you have to have some foresight and you have to, you have to invest the funds. And that's, in some sense, that's what the drama is. Are there going to be the investments, the public investments in agriculture research now so that we have these varieties available 10 years from now and, um, you know, avert a very serious situation? Howdy Buis is the founder of Harvest Plus and a recipient of the 2016 World Food Prize. To learn more about the program, visit harvestplus.org. Holly Kaczynski is a grad student in the University of Michigan School of Public Health. 
This podcast is a joint activity of IFPRI's Nourishing Millions Project and the Department of Nutritional Sciences at the University of Michigan School of Public Health. You can subscribe to this podcast and learn a lot more about IFPRI by going to the IFPRI website, www.ifpri.org, or the Nourishing Millions website, nourishingmillions.ifpri.info. Today's show was produced by Grace Heimsfield, Holly Kaczynski, Andrew Jones, Zach Rosen, and me, Sivan Youssef. Zach Rosen edited our interview. Music from today's show comes from the Free Music Archive. Until next time, let's innovate, learn, and speed up progress on ending hunger and malnutrition.